So um, this morning's uh, discussion um, is on this book. Lynn, this is the book that we've been going through. It's called uh, Christian Mind, um, Escaping Futility. And I've kind of wondered about that. You know, when you say futility, what does that even mean? Any thoughts on that? Who, who's a teacher here? Dixie, you teach math? It's pretty much the same thing. Futility? <laughs> yeah. Or, or teaching, teaching no, math? No, we're teaching about Christian mind. Really? Yeah. Futile? What, is, what does the word futile mean? Uh, seems like you're not ever getting anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's uselessness, um, ineffectiveness, uh, the quality of being futile. And, but, but yet, that's, you know, to a certain degree, that's true. But in, what, be more specific about that. You know, there's obviously we all have lives. We do stuff that is, is useful. But what, and what is it referring to here in this book, the futility? Fruitlessness. Fruitlessness? Okay. So what kind of fruit? Spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit. So really, this is, the, the futility is more about pleasing God, about how do we, you know, can we please God? Um, is what I'm thinking that it is. Any thoughts on that? That's what I think it's more, because we all do create stuff. We're, we're probably effective at our jobs because we still have them. At least most of us have them. I just got a new one. Um, and so um, that's what I'm kind of just wondering about. What does this book mean? The, the guy who wrote this is a guy named William Edgar. Anybody know anything about him? He's, he, he's a professor of apologetics. What's apologetics? Study of what, Courtney? I just said like defending the Bible. Defending the Bible, yeah. Confront, confront. It's it's a study of theology that's concerned with the defense or proof of Christianity using rational argument. So just you know thinking through it. How do you how do you? So that's what he, that's what he is at Westminster, and he. I don't know if you guys know this. He he works for this. This book was published by. Do you know anybody know that? Who's got the book? Who's got the book on them? You got it on them? Am I the only one? Erlene's got it. So she knows the answers. 316 published? Not, uh, not 316. Banner. Who said Banner? How do you know Banner? Just because I have lots of books. <laughs> lots of books by Banner. Does anybody know anything about Banner? Nobody knows anything about Banner. Is this helpful? Do you care? Yes. yes. You do care. You guys are very, very nice. <laughs> But Banner of Truth, where are they from? They're actually in Edinburgh, Scotland. They actually, they're, they're a trust. They're a, a group, they're, I'd probably put them in the, they're sort of formed by thoughts of Puritan as well as Reformed theology is kind of where they come from. They're a trust, they're not actually a company that um, has stockholders, for example. The reason why that's important is because they're not selling books to, they, to, they're a nonprofit. They're not selling books to make money. It's not like they, so what that does is it allows them some freedom to publish books that they hope last for generations, okay? Things that last for a long time as opposed to, you know, simple self-help books that go, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I don't know if you care to know this or stuff, but it's kind of nice to know a little bit about, you know, mix up. It's kind of nice to know like what where they're coming from, and what they do. I don't know if anybody, everybody's hit, heard Sinclair Ferguson. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's on their board of trust, and he, he talks about that. They have a good, they have an interesting website that that has a sort of how they were founded, why they were founded. But um, 
don't know if you'd like to know those sort of things. I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, they, what they do is they're kind of sort of like a, a bit like Ligonier ministry, another ministry that I think our church would hold to as a good resource for, um, you know, books, information, knowledge. But they make books. They also have like a monthly um, publication or monthly magazine called The Banner of Truth. And then they also put on pastor's conferences, not, not unlike a lot of churches or even Ligonier uh, does the same thing. So um, that's kind of what a little bit uh, about uh, that book. These are the Roberts. Maybe just in case you're wondering. The Roberts. Ron. Erica. Been around since 2002, I believe. What's that? They're older than that. No, they've been around. Oh. They didn't exist until we came to this church. They weren't part of the church until 2020. 2020, excuse me. 2002, I get that right. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but I want to go there. All right. So, Lynn, any questions about this book before we start? What? Why is this so funny? I think we all just want to hear what you have to tell us. I've been telling you. Yeah, we're excited too. We're excited? This is part of what he has to say. Okay. Anyway, I, I really thought those things are interesting because, you know, just know where they come from and where the book is and better of truth and that sort of thing. Hey, yes, sir. Can I say something real please, quick? Please, please, please. Because uh, um, before there was an internet, and a friend of mine recommended Banner of Truth to me, like, this is back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. That's the 1970s, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> So I used to buy the books and oh, okay. we'd get the newsletter. You'd have to do it in the mail, of course. Sure, you know. Yeah. There was a hundred of so. Yeah. Okay. I know. It's hard for somebody. So you're a, you're a fan. You kind of grew up on some of this stuff. Yeah. Is that right? Good. No, I, I didn't. I didn't stay with it over those decades, but yeah. So the book, um, Lynn, the Christian Mind: Escaping Futility. Futility, as we just kind of defined, is uselessness, but as it as it kind of goes towards God. Courtney, I don't know why you're laughing at me. I'm trying to figure this out. This is not going like I wanted it to. It's going exactly how I pictured it. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so that's what the book is about. Sort of the book summary, if you could put it to try to summarize the book, it's what are the implications of the renewed mind on the believer? What are, that's kind of the statement, if you read the back of the cover. That's what it kind of asks, because what are the implications on that? So I'm going to ask you guys a question that I want you to discuss among yourselves, and then maybe in a few minutes we'll kind of come up and someone, group leader, um, group leader with your group. Three or four people at a time. And just kind of to answer this question, what are the most profound changes in your thinking since becoming a believer? Okay. So three or four together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that's okay. You guys too. I'm gonna I'm gonna list some of mine. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about some of mine after a bit. So go ahead. It is nine nineteen. So at nine um, twenty five, we'll talk about this in person. 
The question is, what are the what are the most profound changes in your thinking since becoming a believer? I'll write it down. What are you doing here? I'm just bringing them here to make sure they got here safely. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're walking out. I'm walking. Hey, Dave, where are the Roberts kids? Because that's not all of the students coming out there. She's going to be away. They might be in the worst class. All right. Yeah. You guys. Zaley and Zeke. Is that what the two Z's or X? Two Z's. Zaley and Zeke. All right. Why don't you guys join this group over here, okay? What they're doing is they're answering the question right up here. What are the most profound changes in your thinking since becoming a believer? Okay? Any questions on that? Okay, in case you're wondering, that's Lynn. She's over in the corner. Okay? I don't know if you met Lynn. She's new. Pardon? He's, he's reaching for me, Brian. Lynn, do you feel picked on? Now, as I see the same issue process, and now it works. I read the Lord is not done. Are you hanging out? Are you listening to this guy? What's that? Open my eyes to the turn around. The question they're answering is what are the most profound changes in your thinking since becoming a believer? Okay? So turn around. Listen. You were born to speak. Okay, I can't hear you. Yeah. 
and interruptions. I think that's another thing. I think Christians can't drink full of truth. And by and so So your your mind is always to the idea letting him work in your life and whatever it means. Because to me, I think I, I, I actually believe that he's based for me and I haven't been there. So I've stopped I've stopped that work. And I now I believe that my heart is also more to like to that process. And that's why I'm seeing your growth that matter. So what changed in your thinking to do that? Because that's almost like the well, action. I, I just think that he does all the work when, it, when you allow him. No. No. Yes, I would agree. I would say that I he says all the work that we're is what I need. Oh, it's not a great Yes, just join us. Why would you knock on the door of your heart? Close the door and say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm not going to be able to give it a chance. Yeah. I'm like, mm, it's a vegetable, right. I'm not supposed to like it. That's my point. Well, I have to report if they're not. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. 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 It's just one of the letters to the church, seven churches. Mm -hmm. All right, um, two minutes over time. Just hated to kind of squelch conversation. Zeke was getting ready to spout out something <laughs> very profound, and sorry to, sorry to interrupt that. I, All right, so let's um, start with the guys and girls in the back. Any, any profound statements? 
profound changes in your thinking since becoming a believer? Because really, this is what it's about, right? It's the changing our thinking, you know, in line with God's thinking, biblical thinking. And I'm just curious about what, I'm, this is not a, this is not a, an exercise. I'm actually, I'm interested to see what other people have learned because I think that's important that we learn from each other in our experiences just because, you know, um, I think that's what the church does is we get to see a little bit of Christ in each other. So, back, anybody back there want to speak? Well, a lot of us were saved very young, so it was hard for us to kind of think before and after. It was more about... Sure. Like Michelle was saying, how you've grown since that time and changed. But Josh, you want to tell what you said? Uh, something to the effect of that God is who he says he is as we're building his word, and that he is good and loving. Uh, someone, someone's to be trusted. Um, and that anything... Any, any good I do or anything that I have is all flowing from him uh, and then back to him. How'd you come to these conclusions? The word. Just by reading? And then talking to other people that are much smarter than me. Like you or Doug. Not in that. That's, that's a different category. For sure. And he said no, that was... Sorry. It's, it's uh, from reading different things, but also talking with people, and then there's the experience of, you know, transitioning that from just something that you have read or know to start to really believe. Yes. The work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Say again. The work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Doing something with what you're doing. Okay. Any other thoughts from the background? The back row? Okay. How about the front front this group up here? Lynn's group. Who's <laughs> 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 Lynn? My spokesperson. Yeah. Alan, any thoughts from this group? What are some things that I think the main thing that I heard in what I thought myself was like um, just a a, a um, kind of abandoning dependence on ourselves and, and uh, you know, being really dependent on God in our, you know, in our thoughts and our minds and for everything in life. And, okay. And, yeah. Was that a quick it's transition? Or was that a quick transition or a slow transition? Or is it on That was a lifelong pursuit. I would say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, more, more years than days. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So a dependent learning it learning a dependence on God and less dependence on my, on yourself over long periods of time. That's kind of an ongoing thing. I understand it. Correct. Yes. Erlene. <laughs> well, there's been so many changes because I'm so old. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I never I, some some that just stay with me all the time is that. Um, he initiates everything. He initiated my salvation before the foundation of the world. He initiated 
it happening in me, his Holy Spirit coming to convict and convince me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, his Holy Spirit keeping me, maintaining my salvation. How he talks to me, he has helped me to grow so that I know, like for instance, the first I understood was how from what I had learned in the word, he reminded me of those things of which Christ had spoken. Um, just how intimately acquainted with me he is. Even my prayers are initiated by him. And then I think, oh, I wanted to ask you this, Lord, and so I pray it. But then I, you know, I've come to realize, no, he wanted to tell me, and then I tell him back. And um, it's been um, just, to me, revolutionary. I mean, just very comforting to know that he initiated the whole thing and he keeps me. I cannot lose my salvation because I'd have to lose a person sure. and I can't lose him. And sure. it's just so comforting. Uh, Courtney asked me once, Grandmommy, you mean since you were saved you haven't had any more doubts? And I said, no, it wasn't dependent on me in the first place. So it's not dependent on me to keep. And um, it's just all of him, Larry. And it's the most beautiful uh, continuing process that he takes us through and he holds us so close and so just coming to love him uh, because he first loved me and he gives me the love with which to love him I mean everything is off him everything that's a it's very nicely put you got that on tape didn't you Josh really that's that's uh, remarkable uh, thanks for letting us know that it's so true and um, you put it so well, so I really appreciate that. Any other thoughts from this side of the room? Nothing? You got nothing? No. Okay. All right. This huge group over here, hard to follow that one. A lot of what we talked about at first had to do, well, similar to what they said in the back, that a lot of us were, we don't really remember what our thinking was before becoming a believer because we were so young. Mm -hmm. Um, but how our thinking has changed as we grew um, in our faith. A lot of it has to do with assurance, that our assurance doesn't come from us and come from what we do. Um, and then I'm going to let Phoebe talk about what her, she can tell her thinking, how her thinking has changed better than I can. So pass the bar. I was just talking about how um, in recent years, since really being in the Word on a regular basis, I've started to um, as you learn more about the character of God and his whole word, you learn to trust that he really is good and he really does desire the best for you and it causes you to trust him more and it causes you to be more curious about his opinion on different aspects of your life or things that you're coming across in the world where you're like, I don't know what to make of this and we turn to his word to see what he thinks about it because, um, he has an opinion on pretty much everything. Um, and so I'm just, the more, all more and more I'm learning to um, have his word be my authority versus um, a hero of the faith, somebody that I respect or I like their opinions on other things. Instead of turning to them first, which is what I used to do, now I'm more, uh, more desirous of turning to his word because people get wrong, you know. Um, and 
sort of surrendering to the word's authority um, in my life, more likely to actually obey it because I know that it's from God and that he wants me to obey it and that it's good. Every little bit of it, the parts that make me blush, you know. For me, kind of things are somewhat about that is, you know, the sovereignty of God, things happen around us, you know, for reasons, actually for a purpose. It's not like, it's not like Jason Bourne where everything he does has a purpose, but it's, God has a purpose in all the things that happen around yes. us, um, I believe, and led to be true, which is very comforting and uh, just allows you to uh, take chances, take take chances. You guys have to figure, that's a little bit different than what you guys are talking, thinking about taking chances. But I mean, um, going out, being brave in certain situations, you know, when it comes to maybe uh, talking about gospel things in difficult situations just allows you to be a little, you know, uh, knowing that, um, again, as you all have said, that our um, salvation, our you know, position before God isn't dependent on our results that we can, you know, go through our lives, you know, sort of without fear uh, in that sense. So, um, all right. I like the initiator. I like insurance. Not insurance, but assurance. Um, those are all good. So kind of like where we're at today, where, 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 where we've been. Let me just talk just briefly about where we've been so far. We're in Chapter 7, same book. Um, the first chapter... Uh, talked about our Christians mindless mindless you know we hear, we're kind of told that faith is irrational faith and science are incom, uh, incompatible um, but the truth is um, actually uh, the use of the mind is actually fruit of faith in Christ okay we now you know again what we're um, talking about is to see the world as it really is not how the world sees things but how God sees things and that's kind of how we're kind of looking sort of the difference. It's almost like we're in two different worlds, right? We have God's view of things and then the world's view of things. And then we're trying to see things as God sees things. And that's kind of the importance of why this book is. It's how are we thinking about that? Um, again, there's a question of whether faith and um, thinking are compatible. People kind of, again, people kind of think that, that faith is just you know being able to I mean the definition of faith in Hebrews 1 faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen so faith depending on what your faith is in right can um, maybe uh, maybe a little bit more difficult to see but when we have God who speaks to us directly through his word our faith can be in something that's sound and and faith the the, uh, the fruit of, of faith is actually to use our minds more effectively. Amen. So, um, so our, you know, what we're trying to do is discern between truth and what's called assertively expressed chain of opinions. That's a lot what happens today in news and blogs is is once we, we compare truth to what other people's opinions are, uh, which is a little bit different than fact. And a, like opinion, like, do you guys have a favorite, you know, like a, favorite musician. I mean, that's just purely opinion, right? That's not really fact. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No? Looks at mom. Mom has all the answers. I just don't know what's so funny. 
man, I don't know what's so funny either. I don't get it. Why do you think they're laughing? The second week uh, was uh, Victor. He spoke on the larger setting for mindlessness. Our culture is currently going to sort of a head, heading into a direction where we don't even want to have engage in conversation anymore. It's more like the people are saying, oh, you're offending me by, you know, your statements. You're, you're, and um, I'm, you know, uh, and, and as a result of that, a lot of conversation is being squashed. And so, you know, um, if, it's not, if it's not in the same agreement with someone else, they can play a certain card that, you know, some identity groups tend to play when they disagree with them uh, in, on opinion. And so that's happening a lot, even on college campuses in places where that there is supposed to, where truth is supposed to, occur, where acquisition of knowledge is supposed to occur. Um, so that happens a lot. So the, the larger setting for mindlessness, and, and it's been kind of somewhat attributed to relativism. That's kind of a, a term where there's no, where there's, uh, you know, no, um, there's no basis for truth. Um, but really, it kind of, the, the stem, the kind of the source of relativism really comes down to our uh, transgression against God's person and his work. It's our sin that kind of creates our inability uh, to, towards mindlessness. And then the third work was uh, uh, Damien spoke and he talked about, the, the subject was our mind in the gospel and it is the gospel. You guys know what the gospel is? You've seen it? See these things? Did you make these? You didn't make them, we got them. You got them? Okay. So the gospel is the truth, the good news of the fact that Christ uh, has died to reconcile with God, opens up our minds to truth, okay? Um, and so the content of our thinking, uh, Jeremy spoke on, which is God. God is the object of our thought. Uh, we've been given our minds with the explicit purpose of knowing him, okay? That's our purpose is to know him. Um, and then the content of our knowledge is our neighbor. Um, our neighbor is the object of our attention. Now that gets difficult. You know, we have God on one side, our neighbor on the other side. You know, the things that we learn, you know, about God restoring relationships. Uh, how do we demonstrate, you know, the, the truth in love uh, to our neighbor? That's difficult because our, you know, our neighbor is the world and their thinking is completely different than ours. How do we do that? I have, you know, I have trouble with understanding like the transgender community or the gay community. I'm just saying that. I have a problem, I don't, I don't understand it well, and I'm having a real, I, I've been thinking a lot about this um, because I have friends that are in that category. And I have friends that are in that category that want to go to church. How do we minister to those people? I, to your, your point, Phoebe, it's like, there's answers in the Bible about these things I wish it was a little more explicit because I cannot, it's hard for me to discern that, you know, um, and how to think through that correctly. You know, I know that Christ spent his time, you know, with tax collectors and sinners. I think, you know, these groups are people that if Christ was, you know, alive today would be working with these groups in some way. How does that fit into the church? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm really thinking hard about this. You can ask my wife. I've been thinking about this for, for years because I don't know exactly how does the, how does, how do we minister to these folks? You know, if we brought them into our church, 
how would that work? If they wanted to come into a Bible-believing church, would our church be able to uh, deal with that? Well, you know, without, you know what I'm saying? These are, these are difficult questions and difficult ways of thinking that I haven't quite gotten yet. Um, so the content of our uh, knowledge is our neighbor. The, the next question was the source for right thinking, and the source is God himself. God communicates to us. He communicates through us with language that we can understand. He says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father, except through me. A lot of people can come through, so we can't get to the Father except through Christ, but there's many ways that people can come to Christ, get to know Christ, and that's through us, right? That's for, for loving our neighbor, that's how we do that, right? So then kind of, you know, and, and um, everybody is, people have kind of talked about the things, how our thinking has changed, probably for the better. And the fact that there are benefits to the Christian life. There are many, many benefits. I have to admit that most of the time I'm, I focus on the benefits, all right? Not just of knowing God for who he is and the joy and pleasure in that, but I often look at God as the guy who puts out benefits. That's, just, that's a problem I have. I wish I could just say, you know, I mean, it gets a little bit easier when I start looking at things that he's created that just give pure beauty. I think it's a little bit easier, like working with wood. I look at wood and I go, why is that beautiful? I, I have no idea, but it's just very attractive to the eye. People, you know, God gives us those sorts of things. And it's not, it's just kind of more of a reflection of him and who he is. It's those times where I start to think of just more of the beauty of God and who he is as opposed to what I get from him. I get a lot of great things. Okay, I get, you know, I get church, I get a correct way of thinking. But again, things are not always, you know, that easy. So the question is, is why do people refuse the truth? And that's the, that's the question of this chapter. Why, do people, why doesn't everybody receive what we have or what we enjoy? It's a way of thinking that gives us comfort, that gives us assurance of salvation, that takes away our fear, that helps us explain many things, but not all things. Um, but it has the, you know, why, why do people refuse the truth? Not a rhetorical question. Because of sin in their life. They're sin in their life? Okay, that's true. All right. What does sin keep us from doing? Yeah, from having a relationship. Right. Keeps us from thinking correctly. We can't think correctly when we have sin. thing that which I didn't bring up in the brief, <coughs> because you cut it so short, was... <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I'm fairly independent and I want to rely on myself and I want to be dependent on others so that's for me one of the changes is having dependency on God which put, puts us in a vulnerable position but you have to be vulnerable in order to have that connection so you have to put yourself in that place for the connection that most people who are not are pushing against it or fighting against it they're limiting the connection so they can focus on themselves. So it's like you have to choose who you're going to serve yourself. Okay. Good. Um, Josh? Um, God, God will harden who he wants to harden. Um, talks about how 
what if seeking desire to like make his mercies known, he created some for like some vessels for wrath. Um, so some are left, some are not. Yeah, that's a whole different subject here. That's very, oh. but it's a good, no, no, it, it does apply though. Um, I, you know, I, I mentioned sovereignty of God and understanding God's sovereignty. I think, and I should say this, I'm going to say it anyway. I think God's demonstration of his sovereignty is in who he chooses. Probably the greatest exercise of demonstration of his sovereignty is who he chooses and who he doesn't. Because a lot of times there's no sense into it. Doesn't make any sense. There's no reason why. Just to his, just for his good pleasure. Um, that's an author from these guys who said that. So, um, good. Um, why don't you read? Hey Jeff, do you have your Bible with you? I don't. You don't, Erlene? Can't read anyway. Can't read. Can you read uh, Romans one um, verses twenty one? Um, through 23. Romans 1, 21 through 23. Please. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. That's 24. Uh, through 23, that's good. Thank How you. far do you want me to go? 23 is good. Thank you. So the reason why man does not um, you know refuses this truth is just that he does not want to know the truth does he know God does he know God uh, you know he exists okay, but does he know him he actually does I think Roman actually Romans actually says he knows God but yet they still with even with that information still refuse to bow to him Okay, and they turn to other things. Their hearts are hardened. Because um, it says in Romans 4, although they knew God, I used to think the same way, but, uh, but they actually know God personally. And how do they know God? Because he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself. How has he revealed himself? Through us. Through people, anywhere else? Nature. Nature. Kind of typical, yeah. Nature is, is where he's known. Um, uh, because it says in Romans uh, eight, Romans one eighteen through twenty, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So they don't want to know the truth; they refuse to know the truth. For for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. So they, unbelievers, know God. Okay, but what he does is they refuse to, um, to, know, to know the truth. They suppress the truth. 
Why do you think people suppress the truth? Kind of is the next question. Why do you think that would even happen? Because it doesn't fit with what they want to do. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one way. The author, of the, book, the author of the book kind of talks about several people that do that. One of those things is just that. If you have this knowledge of who God is, what does it force you to do? What does it force your hand to do? You kind you of mentioned it. Pardon? You obey. You obey. Okay, you, either you obey or you don't. You kind of have to choose to believe or if you don't. So what are the, con what are the consequences of choosing of, of uh, what are the consequences Consequences of suppressing the truth versus not. If you don't suppress the truth, then you're good, your, your hand is forced. You have to do something about it. Or you, like what most people do, me included, unless it was unless there was some initiator or intervener, I would, I would certainly be there, okay? But it kind of forces your hand. It's kind of like you have to do something about it. If you can, it's easy to ignore it, but then you either gotta decide, okay, here's the truth, what do I do with this, okay? I obey, which is going to be a life of a lot of things. I have to go to church. I have to listen to Phoebe and Callie and Reed and stuff and, and Zaley. And I guess the whole band is here. I think a lot of, a lot of just having come from that, <coughs> I believe that you have to uh, acknowledge your need for him and then allow for that, that word to penetrate your skin and get into you and start working in you. But if you choose to, you can push away from God. And I mean, other people probably here will not agree with that, but I'm going, I live that life. How, how, do you, how did you get this need to, to, to need him? How did you know? How did you develop so that I, I believe that's the Holy Spirit working on me. The point, the point is I can push away from him and he'll let me go just like he did those people in Romans chapter one. But uh, if you will submit yourself to him, he'll say, okay, now pay attention. I'll show you what you need to do. Well, when you're talking about suppress, just part of it is I'm thinking it. Somebody can think, oh, I'm just not, I'm going to ignore and not notice. And I don't think that that's as accurate. I think like, the idea of suppression is probably more accurate because even when you're talking about resisting, you have to use some force against the thing. So it's like if you've got even one of the water, one water wing you put in it under the water, it wants to come to the surface. So you have to, you know, motions or mm -hmm. physically, it's like there's like a buoyancy. You have to work against it to keep it down, which means you're actively focused on the thing that you're working against. Like you're so, saying, there's no neutrality. There's not. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's so either you're moving toward or against, but there's always an action that involves God. There's always effort. There's, yeah. So you think you're saying it's not passive, just ignore it and walk away from it. Try to make it look that way, but I don't think really that's what's happening. You're either truly seeking the truth or you're seeking out opinions that will assuage. Does that make sense what we're talking about? In other words, we either actively suppress or actively pursue. That's what it sounds like you guys are saying. Uh, for people that have lived their life pretty much in the Christian faith the whole time, they don't even deal with that that other side where they're having to fight against God. They're always in the will of God. But for people who have actually gone, know, known the truth and gone off 
and try to live in, they, in their own way, they actually do suppress that truth. And they are doing what you're saying, pushing against that buoyancy. Mary, I'd like to, to submit that perhaps, as with me, people who think they know God, they have known about God, like I knew about George Washington, Abe Lincoln, and John F. Kennedy, but I did not know them. But if someone had asked, if, do you know Abe Lincoln? Yeah, I'm, but no, I didn't know him. And that's what it is kind of with the Lord. And the word tells us no man seeketh after God. We don't, we're not going looking for him. And the enemy is working on us when we are without him, when we have not been born again, the enemy is in control of our thoughts and how we come to conclusions about things. And so therefore, even if we hear this, he either makes it so we think we're good, which I did, and no wonder God died, no wonder Christ died for me, I'm good, you know? And then I saw all those things that pointed out to me, he didn't think so. He didn't think I was so good. And I couldn't, couldn't make equality out. I couldn't say this equals this. It didn't. But I didn't know the answer. But the Holy Spirit did what only he can do. And until that happens for us, we don't come to love him. I mean, it is so important that the word says that the Father seeks those to worship him in spirit and in truth. And until our spirit is quickened, by the Holy Spirit, we don't love Him, and we can't love Him. It's just all of Him. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it any more than just that it's all of Him, all of Him. Well, if we don't suppress and, the truth, um, then we are forced to believe and realize that mm -hmm. we are not enough for our own salvation. Like you were saying, you know, we have to... Uh, come to grips that there is something innately wrong yes. with us, and that is very offensive. And so that might be one of the reasons why people will suppress the truth, because they don't want to believe that there is something wrong with them. They acknowledge the truth, and they acknowledge that there's sin, that they're sinning, and it, it's hard you know, to acknowledge that, oh, there's things that I would have to change, mm -hmm. things to, that I'd have to give up. Or, um, and that's, I think that's, that comes out of selfishness. Don't want to change. Don't want to face those hard truths. Which is also true for believers. Yeah, it's yes. Not, it's not just so I was just thinking, in terms like some of the resistance things we were talking about, uh, Christ told Peter, get behind me, Satan. And I've read that that's simply like adversary. It's like, you're working against me, even though you're my disciple, soon to be apostle. So, even believers have their own ideas about things and don't listen or understand. Why people choose to suppress the truth varies. The author kind of mentions a couple people, a guy named Ken Clark. Kent Clark says he felt the finger of God but couldn't confess his life of wrongness. If he did, his family would have thought that he was mad. So there's a cost to this. Of course, there's costs both ways. Um, another guy, uh, David Hume, a philosopher, became a nihilist and decided it wasn't worth all the Im implications, so he 
kind of finished out his life just playing games with his uh, friends. Um, it's just it's just that thing you have to you, again you kind of have to you come to a point where you have to choose um, and the hard part is too is we don't you know when I say that I say that in a sense that do we have we, we actually don't even really have the ability to choose when I say ability I'm talking about moral ability you know where it says you know in um, Ephesians you know where we are dead in our trespasses and you know the only thing I, I could think of about definitive truth when Jeremy asked me like at least in medicine is that people die and death is very definitive and it's also a truth and that you know we don't have the moral ability to make that decision until the until we're dwelt with you know the Holy Spirit um, the uh, author kind of goes on to talk about you know how do we how do we get there how do we get to the point where we you know can accept this truth obviously it's the holy spirit working in us it's recognizing our shortfalls but it also we have to have a change of thinking all right and that is the role of repentance now what is what is repentance turning away turning away no. Okay. To the new. Those are good words. <clears throat> I can't remember the. I think the degrees are 180 degrees. You're walking this way, and you start walking that way. Okay. Agreeing with God that your sin is deserving of God's wrath. Okay. So this change. It's, it's, again, it's, it, the mind has a role in repentance as well. And it's this, you know, change in the mind that has to occur. All right. And again, yes. repentance. Everybody, anybody know 2 Corinthians 7, 10? I'll read this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, a worldly repentance, produces death. Godly dependence, can we cut... We can't generate that on our own. That's another thing, another gift of God that um, has been granted to us is that we can't repent or repent correctly on our own. Right. Like Orlean said from the very beginning, he initiates that repentance within us. He changes our mind so that we can follow, um, follow him. And that's because our minds have been washed by the word. Yeah. And, and we begin to, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't see that. I, yeah, I like that. I want to do that. And that's because he's already initi initiating his desires to make them our desires. So even when we start desiring something else, it's because he did it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's no doubt in my mind that he is initiating. So I don't, I, I equivocally, I agree with that. What I don't agree with is that if you're not in the Word, if you're not studying the word or being fed with that word that changes, how are you going to change? You don't. Until the Holy so, Spirit starts. So the point I'm trying to make is you have to submit yourself to that first. Then, then you can be, he can initiate the work in you. But if you want to suppress it, you can. Yeah. That's one thing that's nice too is he's also the person who initiates that desire. The word 
Okay, that is that doesn't come natural either. Not to the not to the uh, fallen man. The Pharisees were in the word more than anyone in the time of Jesus, and of all the people that Christ had a problem with, it was them. Um, it, it says in Romans one that for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What is it? You have to go back to sixteen. It's the gospel. Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. And I can, I agree with Jeff that you have to have the word. That's, that's, that is the renewing of the mind. It is the special revelation that God has chosen uh, to affect salvation apart with, or in addition to other things like a Christ encounter, etc. But I can be in the word and, and still suppressing the truth. As the word, as I'm reading this, and it's saying put on the new man and take off the old, and it's like, all right, I agree with that, except for this one thing, I'm gonna hold on to that. That's me suppressing the truth, it's me not operating in faith. Uh, I find that, you know, growing up, I had heard the gospel and stuff, and I was as far away from having the word in front of me that you can be, and God, unilaterally acted in my life and heart. Uh, he did that using his word, but that word was not something that I was actually pursuing at the time or thinking about. He just said, let there be light. That's essentially what I agree. You know, it, it, it does take the Holy Spirit to to work in us, in our minds and our hearts, to understand Scripture, um, you know that is for sure. You know, the, like I said, the, like Josh was saying, the Pharisees, you know, didn't have that ability to be able to do that, and so their interpretation of the word was probably a little bit different than God has intended it to, because God speaks to that. You know, how we interpret the word is interesting. You know, when we come to church, there's when we come to church and listen to. Jeremy or uh, uh, Ryan preach. We've read those things. We've re we've read those verses probably you know over and over before, which is which is good. But yet, how God somehow does something miraculous when we do it as a group, because we are being discipled by Ryan, Jeremy, or whoever is preaching with those words, even though we've heard them multiple times. You know, the, the word is like I said living. It's it's. It's constantly reading us. We're reading it, but it's reading us and, and speaking into us. And again, work of the Holy Spirit. But it's also, and I, it's sort of some weird miracle that I don't understand. I think Moffat was big on this, and I heard him say it. And I, I, I'm, I was kind of trying to understand. There's something that is very um, important for the church to come together and listen together. I think. The Holy Spirit works in that uh, different than when we read it alone. Not, not, not trying to discourage us from doing that by no means, but to hear it together, to read it together, to study it together is a very um, Holy Spirit moving thing. I don't know how to say that. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly. But I think it's just so important. And I think it's just, just a difference. Why do women get together for Bible studies? Why do men get together for Bible studies? It's when we're together. The Spirit works 
in, in different ways than when we're alone. I, that, that has been true in my life too when I, since I've come here. The one thing I've done is applied myself. We had, we had one of the meetings here in this uh, class across the hall. And it was about how, how do we actually get to the place where we're learning? Is we study and we meditate and we memorize and you know and I thought, yeah, that's that's a problem. I'm not doing those things. Once I started doing that, once I started applying myself, I start to see my work in my life. And I see that it's not a it's not a little difference. It's a big difference. And I think he's working in my heart because of the knowledge that I'm gaining from being around people who do love him and keep his word and his commandments and and they have this environment that actually breeds Christians. Imagine that. Church is a great thing. Grateful to be here. All right. Thanks Jeff for talking about that. All right, we are done. You get, who's 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 singing this morning? All you guys? Sailor, you on the group? Not today. Not today. Taking a day off. All right. I'll pray and then we'll go do our things. Again, Heavenly Father, we're just grateful to you, Lord, for your word, for this discussion. We just thank you for the church. Thank you how you work through the church to um, purify us, to teach us, to help us understand um, your precepts. Lord, we're just grateful to you, Lord, for this uh, this discussion this morning. Again, I pray the things that we have learned from it would be honoring to you and glorifying to you. Pray for uh, the rest of the service. Who's preaching today? You know, anybody? Ryan. Ryan. Pray for Ryan. Thank you. As uh, he preaches this morning, again, give him the words you want him to say. Uh, help to prepare our hearts and minds for um, what he has to uh, teach us today. That we again would be honoring you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.